Heights Faith family. Thank you for the privilege and an opportunity of being with you. Second Timothy in your Bible, Second Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to ask you to open it to that place um, and help me preach this morning. I um, heard that rush of enthusiasm that rushed across the congregation a moment ago when it was announced that a seminary professor would be talking to you this morning. I'm sure some of you sat there and thought, this guy's going to need some help, uh, and you're right. And one of the ways I want you to help me uh, is to follow along in your copy of God's Word. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, maybe there's someone sitting close to you uh, that does, and I want to call your attention to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul... The apostle is the human author, but he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that means this is God's word for us. 2 Timothy 1, beginning in verse 15. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you, you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. I was shocked and brokenhearted to read an article um, this week that about something I had not heard of. Probably some of you have. It was on transableism. Transableism is uh, a term that's being used for individuals who want to transition to be handicapped, uh, and so they are wanting to identify now as opposed to uh, someone with a healthy body that they were born with to someone who is disabled and even to the point of some maiming themselves or asking surgeons to perform some kind of mutilating surgery uh, on them. And of course, you know, this is just uh, maybe the next thing or one of the next things in the trend of transitioning, transitioning away from the way someone was born, um, the identity that they had when they were born to a different uh, identity, all just a reflection of the depravity of our culture and the effects of sin in a world that's spinning out of control. And transableism won't be the last manifestation of that. But I wonder, I wonder how, what God thinks about transmissionalism. I think I made that word up. I Googled it and uh, couldn't find it. It may be out there somewhere, but my use of it is simply to reflect uh, the reality of some believers in Jesus Christ uh, either passively or aggressively wanting to transition away from the missional identity that they were born again with. And what I'm talking about is the reason you and I are on the planet 
reason God's left us here, whether we're accountants or stay-at-home moms or seminary professors or pastors or missionaries, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, when God saved you, when you were born again, you were given an identity. I was given an identity, right? And it's one you're very familiar with in this congregation that I'm so thankful for. And that is understanding that the reason you're here, regardless of how you put bread on your table, the reason that you've been left on the, on the planet is to leverage your life for the sake of this gospel. To do everything that you can, everything that I can to get this gospel to as many people as we possibly can. But the reality is there are churches all over the United States and all over the world that that are filled with people who have chosen to transition from that identity to a lesser purpose, a lesser reason for living, a lesser reason for being on the planet. That may be raising a good family, raising good kids, good grandkids, pursuing a uh, a, a, a vocation or a career that, that we're passionate about or just enjoying life. I, I think transmissionalism is a reality in our day and there's always stuff that is pulling us away from living out our true identity. The identity that we were born again with in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Timothy. Timothy was at least at a place in his life where he was tempted to do that. This guy was a pastor when Paul wrote this letter, but what he says to him and what he's talking about is something that's not limited to pastors. First Timothy 1 and the first part of verse 2 are about this mission. This seems like a really appropriate place, I think, for us to be on the eve of your annual uh, Timothy Project conference that is going to focus on that. As I said, this is something that is part of the DNA of this congregation, and it really is where the Apostle Paul begins in this second letter to this young pastor. Basically, in, in 1 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 1, in the first part of 2, he's describing a relay race. And, and, and all of you are familiar with that, where runners run around the track, and in between each runner they pass a, a, a thing called a baton. And their, their responsibility is to get the baton around the track and to do it first. Interesting thing about the relay race is the team that wins the relay race is not necessarily the team that crosses the finish line first. The team that wins the relay race is the team that crosses the finish line first, carrying the baton. If you don't get the baton around the, the track, you don't win. This is what Paul's talking about. He starts off in chapter 1 and in verses 3 through 5 saying, My ancestors handed this to me, and, and I handed it to your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and they handed it to you. And then he's going to come over in chapter 2 at the very beginning and he's going to say, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace in Christ Jesus and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is a relay race. 
It's a relay race with a very, listen to me, come in here real close, a very specific baton that Timothy had been entrusted with and that you and I have been entrusted with. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul identifies it in chapter 1 in this letter right here. In, in verse uh, 8, he's going to talk about sharing and suffering for the gospel, and then he describes it, kind of gives a capsule. Verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul's very clear about what this baton is that Timothy had been handed and that he was responsible for handing to others. Same baton you've been given. Same baton I've been given. If I could just press pause right there for a moment, I... I know I've started off talking to believers in Jesus Christ. That's who this passage of Scripture is addressed to. But I know any time a crowd this size is gathered together, there's one, two, three, four, likely more, who've never, ever said yes to this gospel. And I just want to say to you as you listen to this this morning, know that we want you, we want you to receive this gospel. We want you to know that this Jesus that he's just described here left heaven and came to earth and lived a life you can't live and I can't live, a life that meets God's standard for getting into heaven, a, a life of perfection, of holiness. If you find yourself saying, I, I can't do that, you're in the right place and, and you've got the right posture because that's it. That's why Jesus had to come to do for all of us what we couldn't do. He lived a life we can't live, but then he died a death we should have died. You should have died. I should, I should have died. A, a, a life where we pay for our sins, but he stepped, when he went to the cross, he stepped in between us and the wrath of God. And he became sin, our sin for us, and took our penalty. And then as we sang about a moment ago, he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead to give us back the life God created us to have. And if you've never done that, we pray today would be your spiritual birthday. That in your heart, you would, you would turn your heart toward God and with repentance and faith, you would trust Jesus to do for you today what you cannot do for yourself. That's our invitation. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel that, that the Apostle Paul is talking about here. Now, believers in Christ, come back in here and, and, and remember uh, Paul speaking to Timothy and, and saying, this is what you've been given. And, and through the Holy Spirit, he's saying today, this is what you've been given. He describes it, by the way, in verse 13 as a pattern of sound words. And then in verse 14 is a good deposit which has been entrusted to you. And then he's going to go and he's going to say, now you... You make sure you live your life in such a way that you hand this off to other people. This is what's going on in 1 Timothy 1 and the first part of chapter 2. And in the middle of that, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, deposits this paragraph. It's got some guys with funny names in it, and he puts it right in there before he... Before he even says, now, Timothy, you, you hand this off to other people. Why? Why did the Holy Spirit inspire verses 15 through 18 
in our Bibles. I think the key to understanding that is a common thread that is woven through chapter 1. And that is a thread of not being ashamed. Not being ashamed of the identity that you were created to have. That I was created to have. Notice in verse 8 of chapter 1, Paul says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Look down at verse 12. He says, This gospel is the reason I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. And then if you look in this paragraph I read a moment ago, at the end of verse 16, he says, Onesiphorus was not ashamed. Do you see that thread? It ties these things together. And the Apostle Paul inserts this story about Onesiphorus, this testimony of his life, because Timothy is on the verge of transitioning from his God-given new birth identity. And through, through him, God speaks to us. He speaks to us who may be at a similar place, some of us, again, sometimes aggressively, and we just walk away. We've seen that, probably all of us, with family members or friends. There were lots of people in lots of churches during COVID that did this. They walked away, and they didn't come back. And I'm not just talking about coming back to worship services. I'm talking about the faith. We all, we all know people that this has happened to aggressively. But maybe the most subtle thing is when it happens passively. Is that we, though we would never say it, we find ourselves at a place where we're, we grow ashamed of this gospel. Ashamed of this gospel to the point that we want to drift into the shadows Never to say, I deny Christ or I'm walking away from the faith, but, but to transition to a lesser purpose, a lesser identity of somebody that just comes to church, listens to the sermons, gives their money, goes through the routine, raises a good family, pursues a good career, but distances themselves from the identity that they were created to have, and that is to leverage their entire lives for the sake of this gospel. So what do we learn from Onesiphorus that would help us not to do that? I'm going to give you just three simple characteristics in Onesiphorus's life that I think Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, deposits right here so that we would be encouraged and challenged not to do this, just like he's challenging and encouraging Timothy not to throw in the towel. Here's the first one. Let's just call it steadfastness. We, we must be steadfast in this mission that we've been given. You look at verse 15. Paul doesn't start out by mentioning Onesiphorus. He actually mentions some other guys. We don't know why. We don't know why Figulus and Hermogenes had abandoned the Apostle Paul at this particular point. 
But what we do know is that they abandoned him along with many others, maybe in his greatest hour of need. And what the apostle Paul does is he, he, he paints a contrast here. He's about to introduce this guy Onesiphorus. Before he does, he contrasts him with some individuals who were not devoted to the gospel, but they had deserted the gospel. They had walked away from it. And he basically says to Timothy, don't, don't be like them. Don't be like them. Now, it's important, it's important for us to think about why, um, why the Apostle Paul... Um, it, you know, is, is speaking to Timothy, really to think about why Timothy is, is tempted at this point to transition from his born-again identity to a lesser purpose, drift into the shadows. There were several things, just you know, about five I'll mention, there may be more, but just see if you can identify with any of these when you find yourself at a place of, tempt, uh, 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 of being tempted to drift into the shadows, come off the playing field, you know, stay in the stadium, but really not, really not be in the game. Let me tell you what was going on in Timothy's life. Number one, he was scared. He was scared to be a gospel proclaimer. I mean, Paul's going to say down there in verse 7, in verse, uh, verse 1, God gave us a spirit not of fear. Why? Because Timothy was fearful. Nero, the Roman emperor, had turned up the heat on Christians in the first part of the 7th century AD. There was more focus and attention. The intense persecution had not started yet, but it was, it was beginning. It was, he began to lay the foundation of it. Timothy had it enjoyed, he enjoyed the, the nurture and the friendship and the companionship of his elder mentor, but now that guy was about to, fall, uh, to pass off the scene. Paul was in, in, in prison there in Rome for the second time, and, and, and this is an imprisonment, by the way, that he would never be released from. His head would get chopped off at the end of this. Timothy was now facing the prospects of facing this persecution and everything else that was going on without the guy that had nurtured him in the gospel and nurtured him in ministry and in the Christian life. And he was about to be gone. Timothy was scared. You ever been scared? I have. Fearful in this gospel advancement. That's where Timothy was. Not, not only was he scared, but he had some health issues. In 1 Timothy, we, Paul prescribes some medicine for his health issues. I've seen that happen a lot. Man, I'm just dealing with this. I, you know, I've got this going on. I really can't be involved in the mission. And I can't be on the field because I've got this. Timothy was, was at least facing that reality. Thirdly, inexperience. In 1 Timothy, we're told that there was people in his congregation who didn't want to follow his leadership because he was so young. He said, we got socks older than you. And they, they were just hesitant about that, and he was dealing with that. False teaching, number four, inside the church and outside the church, there was errant doc doctrine that was running rampant. And as a spiritual leader, a pastor, he was responsible for protecting God's people from that. It was hard. Number five, it, it just seems like in First and Second Timothy, just the tone of it and some of the things Paul says, he just seemed to be naturally timid. You know, that... that Timothy wasn't the kind of guy that had one of those personalities that was conducive 
for never meeting a stranger and talking to people about their spiritual condition and sharing the gospel. So I just wonder if there's anything on that list that you could identify with. Never get fearful, health problems, maybe just I'm too young in the faith and I'm too inexperienced in in gospel ministry and and there's, there's just so much false teaching out there that is bombarding me. It's just like a war zone. Or maybe you find yourself saying, I just don't have the personality for it. I just don't have, this is where Timothy was, all of those things. And it, and it might be a situation where we would have expected the Apostle Paul to write to him and say, hey man, you know, I didn't see all this coming. You got a lot of going on in your life right now. Why don't you just lay low for a while and let the dust settle? And then when it does, maybe you can get back in the game. But, you know, just kind of take a break, pull back a little bit. But instead... Instead, Paul writes this letter and basically says, don't you even think about quitting. Don't you even think about walking away from this. The gospel is too precious. The stakes are too high. Eternity is too long. Don't you even think about quitting. And so he, he, he sets up Onesiphorus as a model of somebody who was steadfast. He was steadfast in the mission. He didn't shrink back from it. He didn't transition to a lesser purpose. He stayed in the game. We must, brothers and sisters, listen, be steadfast in this mission. Secondly, secondly is the word service. Service. This characterized Onesiphorus' life. We... We must serve on this mission. That's what Onesiphorus did. You know, I'm kind of intimidated by, uh, by you younger Christian parents, thankful for this, but intimidated by it, who name your children after biblical characters. That's a really cool thing to do. We weren't smart enough when uh, I first got married and started having kids. So we got a lot of Joshua's and Caleb's and you know, Mary's and Martha's running around, but I, I, I never really know what to say then when somebody asks me, well, what, you know, what, what are your kids' names? And I kind of sheepishly, almost embarrassingly say, well, Clint, Shane, Dallas. It's like we came up with our kids' names while we were watching John Wayne movies or something. I don't know, you know there's, there's no history, you know, really no reason there. But I do think it's interesting. Nobody ever names their kid Onesiphorus. Like, here's little Oni, you know. <laughs> but maybe we should. You know what it means? It means help bringer. And Onesiphorus lived up to his name. I mean, just look at the way Paul describes him here. In verse 16, he says, he often refreshed me. He wasn't ashamed of my chain. Verse 7, he searched for me earnestly and found me. And then at the, uh, verse 17, and then at the end of verse 18, he says, And you know, Timothy, all the other ways of service that he rendered at Ephesus. Isn't it interesting? Onesiphorus, he never got his 15 minutes of fame. He didn't have a ton of friends and followers on social media. Didn't seem to ever be on the platform under the lights. Paul just said he, he refreshed me and he came looking for me 
and he, he got his hands dirty. And I, I, think about, I, I think about all the guys that Paul could have used at this point as individuals to inspire this young pastor who was about to throw in the towel. I mean, he could have appealed to, he could have appealed to Peter. Yeah, you know, Peter crashed and burned at first, but you remember that sermon at Pentecost? 3,000 people got saved. And how he led the church, you know, after that and gave his life for the sake of the gospel. He, he could have used James, the first pastor of the church. Could have pointed to him and said, you know how he led and pastored the church in Jerusalem. You need to, to lead that way. John, the apostle John, actually had been the pastor of this congregation uh, in, in, in Ephesus, of these believers. Got to tour the sites and just a couple of weeks ago uh, of the churches, uh, of the, the seven letters in Revelation. I remember being there in Ephesus and just thinking, it, it was just a, you know, a not too far distance where John the Apostle would, you know, would, would serve in prison on the Isle of Patmos, stemming from his ministry in this city right here. It's like, why didn't Paul use that? Instead... Instead, he chooses a guy with a funny name who gets three, maybe four verses in the Bible. And he says to Timothy, be like that guy. Be like him. He served. He served in a way that enabled the gospel to continue to be advanced. Brothers and sisters, this morning... Just to encourage you and exhort you. So many of you are already doing this, I know. But maybe there, maybe there are some this morning that you see yourself and you would say, in honesty, and you put your head on your pillow, you know, I, I think maybe I've, I've begun to transition to a lesser purpose. Yeah, I'm here. I give my money. I sing the songs. I hear the sermons. I, I live a good moral life. I'm trying to raise my kids right, but I... I really am not leveraging everything that I have and everything that I am for the sake of the gospel. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you this morning. Get off the sideline. Find a way. Find a way. And if you can't find it on your own, you can't see it, ask somebody. Ask your pastor. Ask another leader. Ask a fellow uh, brother or sister in Christ. What do you see in me? How might I be able to serve? It doesn't have to be on the platform. God, God gives grace. People, average people in the congregation to bring refreshment. People to seek others out, to find ways to get their hands dirty. A lot of different ways that we leverage our lives for the sake of this gospel service. Finally, the word sacrifice. We must sacrifice ourselves for this mission. For all, from all indications, it seems that Onesiphorus lost his life in this endeavor. You say, how do, how do we know that? Well, number one, in verses 16 through 18, all the verbs referring to him are in the past tense. 
in the past tense. Not only that, you have Paul praying this prayer in verse 16 for Onesiphorus' household. Why doesn't he, why didn't he pray that prayer for Onesiphorus? And when he does, down in verse 18, pray a prayer for God's mercy for Onesiphorus, he, he prays it that, that when Jesus comes back in that day, that Onesiphorus would find mercy. There's one actually in this letter outside this text over in chapter 4 in Paul's closing. In verse 19, he will say, greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Why didn't he just say, greet Onesiphorus? Well, from all indications, whether it was on this trip to Rome or another one, Onesiphorus apparently paid the ultimate sacrifice and lost his life in this gospel endeavor. There's a lesson in that, brothers and sisters, and it's one that we need to hear. I'm sure this is something all of you are aware. If you're not, I, you, you, you got to wake up here. This idea, this idea of somebody physically giving their life for the sake of the gospel is one that for most of us in the United States, all of our lives, it's been something that we've just known about in other countries. We've prayed for the persecuted church and we've heard stories of, of martyrs who have given their lives and we've prayed for their families. But really, you know, for the most part, we really haven't had to deal with that in the United States. We've, we've been blessed and graced to be able to be protected and insulated from that. Well, if you don't know that that is changing, you're not paying attention. It was like the reversal of Roe v. Wade flipped a switch. And to some degree, only, you know, really, but, but, but only in, in very light manifestations, there were churches that were vandalized and, 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 and graffiti. The, it was open season with the media, even some calling for the death of Christians. I don't know if you saw that or not. I, I think, I think in my own lifetime, the day will come here in the United States. And by the way, it's not going to matter who's in the office, whether it's Democrats or Republican. This is a spiritual thing, okay? I think in my lifetime, some of us will at least go to prison, if not be physically attacked and killed for our faith. And we got to be ready for that. But as we're, part of being ready for it is understanding it shouldn't come as a surprise. It's just been a manifestation of the grace of God that we haven't seen it before. We've got to be ready. We've got to be ready if, in fact, we are true to our identity. Our born-again identity to be a missional people. If we're going to be true to that, we've got to be ready for the risk of giving our lives for the sake of this gospel. You've sent out people to other countries who live with it every day. It's coming to our shores. And it's coming very, very quickly. And the Apostle Paul tells this story right here. He, he doesn't say to Timothy, look, Timothy, if you'll stay in the game and you'll be faithful, you'll be steadfast and, 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 and you'll serve, then, then you'll be good. You'll live a long, fruitful life. He doesn't say that. He picks a guy as his inspiration object who died. We live in what some have called a rock star preacher culture, ministry leader culture. We all have our favorite preachers. 
our favorite Christian musicians, favorite organizations. The reality is that many of the personalities involved in those things are people who live out their lives under bright lights on broad platforms. And that's not the kind of guy that Paul uses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit at this point. A guy with a funny name who got three or four verses in the Bible. But a guy who gave his life physically for the sake of this gospel. And Paul said to Timothy, you be like So is this idea of transmissionalism a foreign concept to you? I hope it is. I pray this morning, as I know many of you are, you are being true to your born-again identity. What God saved you for, at least as far as your time on this planet is. But if you're not, if you're not, I, I want you to know that I don't think our Lord is any more appalled by the trans movement sexually and handicap and other ways in our country and in our world, any more grieved than many of his children transitioning from the mission they were saved to be on. Would you resolve with me this morning afresh? For that not to be us, would you look at Onesicrus? Would you look at his life of steadfastness, his life of service, his life of sacrifice, and hear the Holy Spirit say, be like him? Would you resolve with me afresh this morning to say, sign me up. That's what I want to be. That's what I will do. I want to ask you to bow with me. Our musicians are going to come as you're accustomed to them doing. We're going to sing that. Final psalm of praise after I pray. Would you take a moment to respond to God's word, believer in Jesus Christ? Would you resolve afresh this morning to be true to your born-again identity? Maybe some of you that want to come, as you know, is always an option to the room to my left and your right. Be people there, encouragers, people to pray for you and just ask somebody to pray for you about this. Pray that God would strengthen you. Maybe some, as I said this morning, that have never trusted Christ. Maybe some of you have already taken that step in your heart this morning. I, I want to invite you to let somebody know about that. And maybe while we're singing, you'd get up and, and move over to the right side of the auditorium to that room there where there'll be people to receive you. They can answer your questions, and help you get started in the Christian life. Others of you may not be there, but you know God's working in your heart. Something is stirring, and you've got questions. You come too. I invite you. I invite you to come. There are people there that would want to help answer those questions and help you on your journey toward Christ. But regardless of you, whether you come physically this morning, let's let this be a time of saying yes to God's word, saying yes in a fresh way to our gospel mission. Lord, thank you for trusting us with this baton. Thank you, Lord, for 
leaving the most precious thing in the universe in our hands to live and to hand off to others. God, I pray in my own life you'd grant me grace for that to drive everything I do. For individuals right now, Lord, friends, family members that are wrestling with saying yes to the gospel for the very first time, God, give them courage like they've never had before. Let this be the moment. Let this be the moment that they say yes to Jesus for the very first time. Church, would you stand to your feet as our musicians come, our worship leaders come, and they, they lead us in the worship of our God.